Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Bill Kanaski coming at you and uh, part of our continuing MedMal series uh, for early 2024, which we're very excited about. My guest today, Dr. Jeff Willis. Uh, Dr. Willis has a uh, really unique job. It, uh, um, and actually, I, I have not ever met anyone doing what he does, so I'm really, really excited to uh, talk about um, uh, his background, his current experiences. Uh, he actually works with both plaintiffs and and, and defendants, which uh, which is unique, but I think probably necessary uh, given uh, what he's uh, doing. So we're very excited to have him. Uh, Dr. Willis, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, yeah, please, please don't hold it against me that I work both sides. So no, that's okay. Those those plaintiff attorneys listen to this podcast. Uh, I know that for a fact. Uh, but we have a lot of defense attorneys, a lot of insurance uh, claims people that listen. And so I think um, I think it's actually great because, um, you know, a lot of expert witnesses, right? Um, if they're if they're really going to have any credibility, credibility with the jury, they need to work on both plaintiff and defense cases. And so I see this as no different. So I think that's I think that's a good thing. So um, so so so, Dr. Willis, let's just kind of start um, with, with with your background. Well, actually, let's do this. Let's talk about. Define currently um, exactly uh, what you're doing, the services you're providing, which again, I find very, very uh, unique and, and, and fascinating. And then we'll kind of backtrack from there on, on your background, kind of how you got from there to here. Yeah, sure. So I am, uh, I do not do expert witness work. I'm not an expert witness. I'm not a testifying expert. So I work with both um, uh, plaintiff uh, and, and defense side uh, strictly on medical malpractice uh, cases. And uh, primarily what I do uh, on the plaintiff side um, is a lot of pre-litigation case merit um, analysis type work. So, um, you know, they get, you know, however many cases they come through their intake and they think, yeah, a few of these sound reasonable. They bring them to me, they send me the records, I take a look and I, and then I work with them on, you know, is this a case worth pursuing or not? Yeah. And um, if it is, here are the experts that I would use and, and here are the theories that I would use. And then I'm available later down the line too for a deposition, uh, line of questioning strategy, uh, you know, any, anything that comes up. Um, on the defense side, um, obviously, you know, you guys don't get to choose which cases you pursue because they're, yeah. they're brought to you. Right. Um, so on the defense side, um, I simply, uh, from a completely unbiased standpoint, help you understand the strengths and weaknesses of the case and where the holes are in the case that, that you don't understand, um, or that, that you might not recognize, um, just based on these pre preconceived notions that you you've built around your defense, or that your your defendant or your defendant physicians have, have built around it. Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's 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 talk about that because uh, one thing I see, and we've we've written papers on this. I do speeches on this. Uh, on this, um, in the psychology, we refer to this as confirmation bias, <laughs> meaning um, we see a lot of defense counsel um, struggle to see their case objectively. Uh, for a couple different reasons. Um, number one, their past experiences. Uh, number two, their own inherent biases. Number three, maybe pressure coming from the insurance company or the hospital system, um, pushing, you know, how they see the case. And that puts it, quite frankly, I think that I'm not blaming defense counsel. I'm saying they're put in a pretty tough position because to, to, I think to have success on a case, you need to be able to assess it 
very, very objectively uh, with some blinders on. And I see that as, as a, a, a big challenge. Is that something that you assist with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the issue, I mean, you listed all, all of those, all those people that are sort of get, giving them that confirmation by, you know, bias to begin with, but you got to start at the, at the, at the heart of the matter, right? The, the physician that is, uh, uh, you know, b- being accused of, of negligence, right? Because that's where the first lie starts. You know, that's yeah. w- when lies happen, right? That's where that's where the lies start. And so your your defendant physicians, they're lying to you. They don't know they're lying all the time, right? But they yeah. can certainly be lying to you because, you know, as a physician, as soon as you hear hear of a bad outcome, right? And you you know most of these bad outcomes before you're ever you're ever served. Like yeah, you, you know your colleagues talk. You you know you glance through records. You know. The instant that happens, and Bill, I mean you're you know psychologist. You understand the instant that happens, your brain starts building that story of oh, yeah. what happened and how I didn't screw up automatically. You, automatically. You yeah. And you have to do it. It is a defense mechanism that you absolutely have to do. The number of times, in my, I mean, I've been a physician for 20 years, right? The number of times in my career where I have heard, hey, did you hear, hey, you know that patient you saw? Worst, worst thing anyone can say to you when you show up for a shift. Hey, do you remember that patient you saw a couple of days yeah. ago? Like literally the absolutely worst thing you could ever hear. Mm-hmm. And instantly from that point forward, you are building a story in your brain of what happened that day when you saw that patient. Yep. It doesn't matter what your chart says. It doesn't matter what really happened. You start building a story and that's how you remember it. And you're never going to remember it a different way because it's that defense mechanism you have to have mm-hmm. as a physician to be able to go ahead and go see the next patient. Because if you think you really screwed up, I mean, everything down the line is, is, is a mess. So when, when you start having those first conversations with your, with your physicians and, and talking to them about what happened, about the case and having them look at their charts, it is all through that lens of the story that they have already built in their head yeah. um, around, around what happened. Sometimes it's dead on, but not very often. Um, and, yeah. and as defense counsel, they have, they have nothing to go on except what, you know, what, what the doc's telling them and they, they have to believe it. Um, but what I do on my end is I know what really goes on because I, I've, I've done it for so long. Right? I've been, I've been yeah. in healthcare for 20 years. So I hear the story you're telling me, but here's probably a different version of what happened, or here are all the other yeah. possible versions of what happened, or here's what everybody else can say happened. Um, based on on what the what the records show, um, so that's a lot. That's a lot of what I do for the defense. Excellent. Well, I want to dive deeper into that, but let, let, let's let's backtrack. Tell me, tell me where you went to undergrad, where you went to med school, your 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 training, uh, any clinical practice you have, and then how it kind of led you to get uh, to here. Because I, I was kind of in the, you. You and I may have a similar story. You know, I'm on this you know, clinical track, clinical academia track to go end up at a major university and healthcare center. And then, you know, I find litigation, fall in love with it and take this wicked, you know, left turn, which turned <laughs> out to be really good. You kind of give, give me your background and kind of uh, um, the story of how you got to, to here. Sure. Yeah. So I went to uh, college at the University of Missouri um, and med school um, as well. 
I did my residency training at Carolina's Medical Center out in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, uh, was there for three years. And then my wife and I moved back and we lived in St. Louis for a couple of years. And I worked at a level two trauma center there um, and then moved uh, basically back home here. I'm in Southwest Missouri um, and worked for 10 years at a level one trauma center. I was the medical director and department chair uh, uh, there as well for five years. Um, and then I left there to actually started my own um, emergency department staffing company um, and did that for uh, a little over four years, um, staffing uh, regional emergency departments mm -hmm. um, while also working in a rural um, critical access hospital uh, for about five years. Um, and so basically after about 20 years of practice, um, just kind of started looking for looking for things that interested me um, that uh, where I thought I could still contribute, but not necessarily be at the bedside. And, uh, you know, I had the pleasure of being involved in a couple uh, medical malpractice cases on the defense side um, throughout my career. Never really, ne never really named myself, but had to go through some yeah. depositions and, you know, just sort of when you're an ER physician, you're uh, uh, sort of peripherally involved in lots oh, of cases because they're right? coming you through know? your front door they're coming through your right. Front door right yeah 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 you know it, you know the one i remember the most was you know a guy that came in with a you know a belly full of blood was was you know dying in front of me save the guy's life get him to a surgeon they save his life um and then like way on down the line had some weird complication um and somehow, you know, I get, and I get pulled in, I get pulled into that suit when, you know, yeah. literally I was there, you know, I was there for, I was there for an hour and a half, you know, kind of pulled this guy from, you know, the depths of hell and, uh, and, and, you know, and got involved in it. But, you know, through those processes though, man, I realized during those depositions, how non-medical, uh, even good medical malpractice plaintiff and defense attorneys are, I mean, they're around it all the time, but you kind of take for granted the medicine that you know um, that they don't. Um, and they might know the terminology and they might know, you know, they might know a lot about it, but as far as really how things work, I, I was, I was taken by how little they really do know. Um, and so, you know, from that, I just sort of, I was like, you know, I, I think I might be able to help, help them in some way. Um, and it took me a while to navigate through, you know, different paths um, to figure out how I can be most helpful. Um, and then, uh, then I landed on this and I just absolutely love it. And it's, it's become, uh, it's, it's growing and doing so well that I actually was uh, actually able to leave clinical practice entirely, um, a few months back. Um, so now I'm doing this full time and just absolutely love it. I think, I think that's fantastic. And I often get the, you know, do you miss clinical practice? And quite frankly, part of me really does. Um, at the same time, I, I really love what I'm doing. It sounds like you love what you're doing. And so, um, um, so it sounds like, so it sounds like a good, um, a good, a good trade-off. Um, now we emailed each other, uh, back and forth a few times before the podcast to, you know, kind of come up with, uh, with an outline and, and one of your bullet points I find very intriguing because I really wanted to talk about, um, expert witnesses, uh, expert witness testimony, you see it from both sides uh, with what you do. Uh, and your bullet point was interesting. It said, uh, the messed up world of expert witness testimony <laughs> and the industry around it, which is a very intriguing way to describe it. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So 
one thing that I didn't mention of what I do with my consulting um, as well is, is I help seek out experts um, and seek out the right expert witnesses for cases. So that's important. Yeah. Identifying which experts you, you know, you need um, yeah. and, and then actually finding the right kind of expert, uh, you know, for that case. And I, I, before I got into this consulting, because you know when I got into this consulting bill, it, it was it was just all on the medical medical side. Let me let me help them understand the medicine, the strengths and weaknesses of their case, how things work, and um, then I then I became more involved in in the finding of the right experts. And and as I've done that, the expert witness world is weird and messed up, right? Because, you know, the concept of an expert witness is someone who can um, opine generally on standard of care yeah. um, or, or, or causation. Or, so those, those are the two bigger, you know, the two bigger areas yeah. in MedMal where they focus, right? And on the standard of care, it, it's so crazy because everybody wants an expert that has a six-page CV, went to an Ivy League school, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has all of these publications and can speak to all the specific details and are, are the smartest person in their field. When in reality, when it comes to brass tacks, most of that stuff, I don't honestly believe it means all that much, Bill. Like, yeah, you reach a certain point of this person is an expert in their field. And by that, I mean, they're they're boarded. They have a reasonable amount of clinical experience. And and they they went to a, a reasonable a reasonable medical school and training, and I think after that, I really think uh, plaintiff and defense counsel they need to stop there and find somebody that can talk, find somebody that can educate, find somebody that can explain, and find somebody that believes in the case. Um, and so, yeah. but the world is so messed up of, in medical experts where everybody's just looking for the, the guy that looks the best or a gal that looks the best on paper. Um, and it's just not. Well, yeah, just yeah. Not- I, 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 I agree. Um, yeah, these folks are experts in their field. I, I think the word, I think the phrase expert witness is a real misnomer because a lot of these, sure, folks, yeah, absolutely. they're not good witnesses. They're, <laughs> they're experts, but boy, their communication skills suck. Right. Um, and yeah, they may look good on paper. And uh, I, so I, I totally um, un- understand um, um, uh, that. And that's, and, and I, I find that, I find that very um, in- interesting. So when you're helping your clients find um, experts, there's, um, and this is a fact, I, this is something I'd say that's factual because I, I have tested this uh, repeatedly over the last 20 years. Is that jurors um, do appreciate an expert witness that's worked on both sides of the aisle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus you get the what they call the right, right the the whore, the plaintiff whore. As right, I yeah, use yeah. that word, but but that's that's the that's actually a term of art, I think, in uh, litigation. When you you have an expert witness for the plaintiff, that's done ninety nine percent plaintiff work versus a different expert, maybe that's 60-40, right? It doesn't have to be 50-50, but at least something uh, close. Is that something that you look at when you're looking at uh, getting yeah, a expert with yeah, us? Yeah, for sure, for sure, Bill. And the the thing is, in MedMal, it's not nearly as difficult to to find that mix. Yeah. You know, in your, I think in your personal, in, just your, you know, your generic personal injury world, I think there are a lot more people that focus just for the plaintiff or just for the defense. Um, simply by the nature of their 
their subject matter is so similar in, in their cases that they would have a hard time using one set of logic for the plaintiff and then having to use a different set of logic for the defense. But with med mal, it's much easier because the the medicine is the medicine's the medicine, right? Like what yeah. happened is what happened. And it's much easier for a um, for a physician just to speak to what happened in that that particular case and why the standard was breached or not. So um, I've found very few, gosh, if any, straight plaintiff med mal uh, physicians. Now there are some physicians that will just simply say, "I only, I'll only provide expert witness testimony for for the defense. I, I refuse to testify against a doctor," and I don't like I, I don't like to work with those folks either um, yeah. on either on either side. Sure. Um, because if all you're doing is looking for a way to defend the doctor, um, I don't think that makes you very I don't think that makes you very effective. That that um, makes that makes that makes total sense. Okay, so two other variables I want to run by you because I think this is again I think this is a very very important discussion we're having for our MedMal folks because I think there's a lot of myths out there. I don't there's a lot of myths I, I, um, that just aren't true. They may seem true or there's rumors that they're true that they're not true. And you just mentioned one the 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 whole credentials thing. You know, more is not necessarily better when it comes to actually being a really good expert. Mm -hmm. Two other factors. Uh, first one uh, being local expert versus national expert. Where do you see, because, you know, a lot of attorneys that I talk to like, well, okay, so I have a case in Orlando, Florida. Well, I could get the, you know, number one ER physician expert locally in Central Florida, or I guess somebody out of, you know, Russian Chicago, right? I have a prestigious, bigger hospital. And that may be more influential on the jury. Where, where do you land on that issue? I, I don't. I think you're gonna. You have to balance. You have to balance what you need, right? I, yeah. I'm more. I'm more interested in type of facility and venue um, as rather than actual geography, right? I don't right. know that geography matters all that much. So you know, take for example. Um, so I so I've, I've worked in level one trauma center, right? Yep. I've worked in a rural critical access hospital. I'm an ER physician. Those are two different jobs. It is not yeah. the same, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. level one trauma center, you would think would be harder, right? It's not. You have every resource available. You have trauma sure. surgeons. You have cardiologists. You have infectious disease. You have neurology. You have six different ER physician colleagues working with you at any given time where you can go ask a question, right? Yeah. You're working in rural America. You're by yourself for 24 hours with literally no one around you. Yeah, how you can practice is entirely different. The decisions you have to make, right? Yeah, I don't have ultrasound on the weekends. I, you know, I don't have you know X Y Z. Anything that I do, it has to be me, right? So yeah. for me, I would rather find um, a a good expert, regardless of where they are, but a good expert that is familiar working in the type of environment that the physicians, uh, the physician in questions uh, uh, practice uh, was located. So for me, it's not as much geography, it's more cl clinical setting because you're clinical trying to judge the standard. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to judge the standard of care against what another reasonable physician okay. in that situation would do, right? So do I want a guy that's been in nothing but academia his yeah. entire life and all he does is teach residents yeah. to opine on the care of a guy working as a single coverage hospitalist in rural America 
trying to figure out what to do when it's snowing outside and, you know, has a septic yeah. patient that we can't transfer. Like, no, that, that's not believable. I don't like it. So totally, find, totally. find the right, per, find the right person. T totally makes sense. Uh, boy, my next two questions are tough. <laughs> hey, listen, I don't mind. I don't mind asking controversial questions on this podcast because I think they do need to be asked because these come up a lot. Uh, the first one. This is the, I, so this is the beauty of what I do also, Bill. Yeah. Everything I do is like work product. Yeah. Non-discoverable. Yeah. So. so I also love to give people answers they don't want to hear. Perfect. Um, but because it helps them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm in the same boat. I'm a non-testifying expert, so it is what it is. And, you know, I, I need to be brutally honest. Here, here, here's another tough question. This comes up a lot, a lot on cases. Not that this could now this could be an issue for expert witnesses, but this comes up a lot with defendant witnesses. And I kind of want to get your views on both the whole DO versus MD designation. Now, I know you're an MD, right? I am, yeah. Uh, and um, this is, you know, I, I see I see DOs get attacked. Um, defendant DOs get attacked and expert witness DOs get attacked uh, by opposing counsel saying, well, you're like the, like DO is the redheaded stepchild of the MD, right? right. Um, well, first of all, educate our audiences about the differences and when it comes to again both defendants and and experts, um, let me let me know what you think about that topic because this comes up all the time because the DO population of physicians has grown substantially. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, in its most basic sense, it, it all just depends on where where you went to uh, where you went to medical school, right? Yeah. So. You have your allopathic medical schools, your medical doctors, your MDs, and then you have your osteopathic or, or DO medical schools. Um, your DO medical schools, in addition to the uh, regular medicine, traditionally taught osteopathic uh, manipulation um, as, as part of the curriculum. I think most of them probably still do on some level, um, but rarely is that a big part of any DO's practice um, once they get out of medical school anymore. And really, it is just another pathway, uh, a, a pathway into medicine. So yeah. that that is, its, in its most basic sense, the difference between the two. What has become, uh, or what was sort of culturally, yeah, that's not the right word, but in, anyway, people would look at MDs as people going to real medical school and DOs yeah. as people going to, they couldn't get into regular medical yeah, school, but yeah. was able to get into this one where they had to pay a lot more money and can st yeah. still call themselves. It's it's bullshit, man. It's it's not. Yeah. There's not. There's nothing there anymore. Yeah. There's nothing there anymore. Um, and as far as in practice, I mean, I can tell you, I don't know which of my colleagues are MDs or DOs. I I never did. I mean, it's mm -hmm. once you make it through. Um, uh, once you make it through residency and you're out in practice, from a clinical standpoint, it makes absolutely no difference. So um, I, I've not seen it come up. But then again, I, I don't work so much on the actual trial and deposition side and when people try and bring it up. But um, I, I think you're probably going to find as the generations go on, that's going to become less of an issue um, and that you're, you know, your your older generation and the folks that are sort of heading out of retirement now that had those beliefs um, of there being such a major difference, yeah. um, I think that's going to go away. Excellent. 
Um, now, how about the difference uh, between, say, what you do? And I, I know a lot of law firms, both plaintiff and defense, use um, you know legal legal nurse consultants as opposed to, say, uh, an MD, somebody like you, to essentially probably do something similar. You know, assess cases, help the uh, attorneys understand um, the medicine. Um, what is the difference there, and does it does it really matter? Uh, yeah, I mean, it matters. It's it's apples and oranges. I mean, so legal nurse consultants are they have a they have a huge role. I mean, they they do they do really important work on cases. They're great at putting chronologies together. Um, they're great at summarizing you know medical concepts. Um, and I think some of them, particularly the ones that have been in the industry long enough, are really good at picking up good case, bad case. You know, has merit, doesn't have merit, right? And, and there may be nursing care they may be defendants in the case. So yeah. Entirely. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even try and I don't even try and look at the actual nursing care um, and opine one way or the other. Help. Sure. But that's, uh, I'm not a nurse, right? It's two different professions. Yeah. I, I do feel like at times though, they are, the nurse consultants are utilized a little bit too much to provide an opinion on that's the issue. Uh, that's physician the issue. standard yep. and, and causation. Um, it's, it's two different, two different professions, Bill. Um, yeah. and, and, and nurses are well-trained and they do exceptionally well in what they do, but they're not physicians and they, they just can't, they, they don't have the same level of understanding of certain processes and standards of care. And, and I feel that the, the attorneys that rely solely on their nurse consultants to give them that information are missing out on, on a lot. I, I see some corners being cut there. And whether it be convenience or usually it's cost, right? It's always cost. Mm -hmm. It's always sure. all the money, right? But I've seen it and I've seen it. Um, I, I don't do any plaintiff work and it's all defense, but I've, I've seen, yeah, I've seen the nurse consultant used to be really be evaluating, you know, medical issues when it's, it really should be um, more pigeonholed into the nursing since they're nurses, just like you would avoid, you know, giving um, any kind of formal, um, feedback either way probably you know with um with nursing care um here, here's a, here's another um this is actually my favorite question this is my favorite question because you work with you work with defense counsel you work with plaintiff's counsel um and you've been doing this for a while um and again don't don't hold back uh, i want your brutal honesty what when it comes to medical malpractice what are the major differences you observe between plaintiff attorneys and, and and defense attorneys, maybe a compare and contrast. The, sorry, my son was trying to call me through the phone when you asked that. Ask me one more time. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's okay. We all, we all have good issues. Um, since you work with both plaintiff and defense attorneys, um, yeah. they are very different breeds. Um, can can you maybe give uh, your experience in, uh, in medical cases, kind of a compare, oh, sure, sure. Okay. A, a compare and contrast between what you see from defense attorneys, what you see from plaintiff attorneys, and, and maybe what you'd wish both would do a little bit differently. To yeah, be no, yes, yes, no, no, that's a cool question. I like that yeah. question. So um, we'll, we'll start with the plaintiff side. So I'm a physician, right? So I, I grew up in medicine hating, hating plaintiff side attorneys, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like, all they do is all they do is sue doctors and and you know yeah. it's, you know they're just they're just out to make money 
Um, and, you know, we get all these throwaway journals as, as, as physicians. Um, and in all these, these throwaway journals, there's always, you know, some article about this huge verdict or huge settlement, you know, for a plaintiff. And, you know, it looks so ridiculous. And why did this ever happen? Um, the more I've actually worked with the plaintiff attorneys, for the most part, and on the whole, and really the only ones that I'm even willing to work with, are the ones that genuinely have, uh, that genuinely care about their clients. They uh, really feel like something was done wrong and really feel like they need to get their clients some compensation to uh, to help to help fix the problem. Um, and, and honestly, I feel like most of, at least the ones that reach out to me and, and wanna know the truth about a case, they, they tend to fall, they tend to fall into that category. Uh, additionally, I find that plaintiff's attorneys don't, um, they really only like to go after cases where they really feel like they can win. Um, they're, you know, I've consulted on lots of cases where I'm like, you know, you could pursue this, but it's going to be a challenge. And immediately they're like, no, not, not going to do it. Like if, the, if this isn't a really strong case, I, I don't want to do it. And I know it doesn't seem like that on the defense side, you know, on the defense side, you're like, how could they possibly bring this case? It's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, but they really, um, at least the ones I work with, don't, yeah. don't pursue cases that aren't, that, that, that don't seem like they have some degree of merit. Now, damages is an entirely different story. And, you know, sure. that's, you know, but uh, on the defense side, um, like we mentioned, man, they don't, they don't get to choose the cases that come to them, right? Like their 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 clients their clients been sued. They have to do everything they can to mitigate the damages. Um, and so they like kind of like you said, they sort of dig in their heels. They get their story and and they they stick to it. Um, and that's what they have to do. Yeah. They don't they don't have a choice. That's why they're that's why they're retained, right? You know yeah. that's why they're that's why they're paid hourly and that, that's what they're doing. Um, and I, as a physician, I very much appreciate that. Yeah. Um, what I wish could happen, um, and which will never happen, but part of what I do, uh, uh, and the reason I do it is what, what would seem most reasonable to me is if this entire system would be gone. And when bad things happened, a group of reasonable, you know, reasonably minded people could get together and look at what happened and come up with some reasonable, compensation to make sure that the you know injured person's taken care of and everybody go about their business um yeah good luck with I, good luck with that jeff <laughs> i know right well i bet i'd be out of a job too yeah so what am i, I gonna, yeah what, what do you want me to do yeah let, let's do that in about 20 years like when okay. i'm about to yeah yeah then we'll perfect. do that but for the next 20 years let's not really do that <laughs> perfect 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 yeah um and so i mean so as far as what i wish they would do differently i i Given the system that we have, Bill, I don't know if there's a lot that that either can do differently. Yeah, I tell you, so some states, um, I know Indiana being one of them, uh, and Kentucky started doing this maybe five years ago, um, to try to, not necessarily to get what you're talking about, but maybe an intermediate stuff, they have a uh, medical review board. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is like epic, epic, epic political bullshit, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah so you have an E. <laughs> okay. So you have a case against the emergency room physician. So we're going to send it to three emergency room physicians. Oh, by the way, that all compete with each other and the defendant. And we're going to run the case by them and they're going to vote on it to determine whether the standard, of, this is before, before a trial. And then, oh, by the way, the, those results are discoverable to jurors. Um, have you, have you 
heard much about that process. I'm not sure if it's I, 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 I've heard enough about it to know that it's that it's just another step to slow the process of what's going to happen. It's terrible. It's it's yeah. it's it's, it, it's absolutely terrible. Well, those are those are really good um, in, uh, uh, insights. Uh, again, I find this to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, uh, with kind of the last thing here um, on the outline is uh, you described it as, you know, your biggest fears and concerns for medicine uh, over the next decade. Um, you know, things are moving fast. And um, I know I know what mine is. <laughs> I know what my fear is. Uh, and, and, and you can address this as well. It could be overlapping with some of your fears. Uh, my my fear is. Um, um, artificial intelligence um, and how that's used in medicine and how that will affect uh, litigation. I know there's some other things. I know a lot of people are worried about, you know, uh, how COVID uh, perhaps, <laughs> you know, where it actually, where it actually came from, um, how it was used politically uh, as, as, as a, as a weapon uh, were these vaccines. Now, I mean, you still got a lot of angry people here and not a lot of answers. And is that going to happen again? At, at a very convenient time, like the last timing of this was, you have a lot of, I think, I think someone like you and, and the medical community, you have your fears. I think society has a different set, but maybe even overlapping fears. I have my fears. Next decade, uh, what are the top maybe two or three uh, fears or worries or concerns that you have as a physician? Yeah, so my, my biggest fear, and maybe I'm contributing to it by having left the bedside, is that so you know medicine medicine's an art right so yeah. yes there's science to it but but medicine medicine's an art and you learn that art from the people that that did it before you and you uh you look to your colleagues and you look to people that have been practicing for 20 30 40 years you learn things from them and you grow and you grow and after 15 or 20 years that's about the prime of, of where you're probably probably your best right yep Physicians aren't practicing that long anymore. Um, yeah. the, the, the challenges of medicine, the, the finances of medicine, yeah. um, you know, private equity buying up all the, you know, healthcare and, you know, it, all it's a business. It, it, it listen, is. this is a business and many plaintiff attorneys, rightfully so, get in front of a jury going, it's profits over safety. And here's the thing. They're largely right. It's a it's a it's a big time, big time business. And Massive. and by the way, I, I I've worked with thousands of physicians, many of them that are retired, that that have a pending sue. So we're preparing for death or trial. And they told me, I'm so glad to not be in this horrible system anymore because patient care. Like wasn't my focus anymore as all this as all this financial and political bullshit right. I was dealing with, and I think that's kind of what you're saying too is we're losing good physicians because the system sucks. Right, and so so here's the deal, man. Nature abhors a vacuum, right? So yeah. if you're losing physicians, and your best and brightest probably aren't going to choose to go into the medical field because this is all out in the world now. This is all out yeah. in public. Physicians aren't hiding this anymore right there everybody's out there saying this sucks it's terrible i don't want to do this anymore um and so your best and brightest aren't going in going into healthcare, right yeah but nature abhors a vacuum something's going to fill that void right your biggest concern is that ai is going to fill that void 
or at least uh, you know because something's going to have to fill it, right? We're going to have to be more efficient. Yeah. The demand for healthcare is not going down. No. Um, right. So not. something's going to fill it. Right now, what we're filling it with is is advanced practice providers, right? We're filling it with PAs and nurse practitioners, which are fantastic and they're great and there's some that are amazing, right? But we're churning out all of these advanced practice providers at a rate like you've never seen. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the number of programs and the number of people graduating from these programs because there's a void, there's a need, yeah. right? But the issue is that society is really starting to equate the healthcare provided by this level of education, this level of training with that of a physician level of training. It's different. Right. And so you throw that into the the med mal world. Yeah. Nobody's knowing how it's an elephant in the room right now that people aren't talking about that much. Yeah. Oh, um, nobody. No, no one's talking about that. No, like, and, and it's there. I mean, I had, you know, I was on a call with a client this morning and it was clear that the, that the PA was doing most of the work throughout the hospital stay and that the attending was just signing off on this. Right. And, but it's the attending that's getting sued. Um, but you really don't know who's providing the care. Um, and that's, and that's going to happen more and more yeah. and more. Um, and it's it's really degrading the healthcare system overall, and something's going to fill the void. Um, and super high quality physicians that are well trained is that's not who's going to fill the void. So I don't know how we get out of the death spiral, but um, it's definitely it's definitely scary scary to me. Yeah, that's yeah that's that's brutal. There's a uh, you know things change and things change r rapidly, um, and so we'll stay on top of that. See how it uh, see how it uh, it it affects litigation. Um, but um, it's been a pleasure having you uh, on the show. Thank you so much. I have your website right up here. I want to give our audience um, your uh, information. It's uh, on call med legal consulting, and that is ocmedlegal.com. And what's the what's the best way to get a hold of you if we have uh, a plan of war defense attorney uh, that may want to talk to you or maybe may even want to re re retain you to do some of these things that you talked about? Yeah, so they can they can reach me at uh, Jeff at ocmedlegal.com. Um, I'm also really active on LinkedIn. I write on LinkedIn every day. Yes, you um, are. You're on LinkedIn every day, and I see you every day, and I, I try to like as much of your stuff as I see. It's great. Yeah, stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I just I, I write generically about some of the cases I consult on, um, trying to educate, talk about the expert witness world and and various other things. But yeah, connecting with me on LinkedIn is a great way as well. But Jeff at ocmedlegal.com is the quickest way to get a hold of him. Outstanding, Jeff. Thank you for so much. I mean, this what a fascinating discussion. We'd love you have to have you back on in the future. Uh, but thank you so much for being on the show and to our audience. Hope you're enjoying this MedMal series uh, brought to you by the litigation, uh, uh, the litigation psychology pie. I almost forgot the name of the, of the damn podcast. Yeah, I'm <laughs> my my head's my head's spinning. I need more caffeine. Litigation psychology podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Thank you, uh, everybody, for participating. We'll see you next time.